All right, everyone, welcome back. Solve for Why Vlogcast Halloween Edition, episode number 23. They made me wear this thing. I am not a person that likes costumes. I actually wasn't even allowed to wear costumes when I was like, what? What are you? This is Dominican Link. You know Link? You ever played Link? Yeah. Of course you played Link. Yeah, it's always great. N64 was pretty fire. N64? How rich? Where did you play Link? I played at my friend's house on his Nintendo. And what are you? What are you? You're just like fucking Anthony Zeno or something? No, man. They told me, production told me to dress up. I dressed up. You look like Anthony Zeno. I'm a goddamn adult. I'm not wearing a fucking costume. All right. Whatever. All right. So, some interesting. You look like a jolly green giant. That's right. I'm a giant. I'm a god. Carrying around fucking corn. Now I'm carrying corn. Do you know what the Jolly Green Giant is? Nah. He's the guy in the frozen vegetable package. Ho, a- ho, ho. Green Giant. Nah. <laughs> was he a cartoon? Yeah. What, like? He was like this eight foot tall green giant who walked around throwing peas and corn to all the fucking villagers. Was that on cable or? Nah. They don't, they don't advertise on cable, man. That's poor people food. But like, where did it, where was like, what yeah, was it was on this? TV. It was like commercial on TV. Oh, it was a commercial. It wasn't like a show. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's probably why. Yeah. Some, some interesting topics right off the jump. MTTs has been a big controversy now that WSOP Europe has been winding down. One of the things we're seeing is mostly just a continued debate of re-entries being a thing. Some people think that it's like, too good for the pros also other people are like well the casinos are not going to stop running it because like it's so much rake like it's extra rake you know obviously that's why they switch to re-entries rather than revise um and the people think that it's just generally a bad thing for recreational players i kind of agree with that as it pertains to it being bad for recreational players the secondary topic is that people think that the first bullet is played differently than the second bullet so i really just want to talk about the perception of the community. And that's really all that matters, I think. And what Daniel was saying is that it only matters what the recreationals think. But other people are saying that, you know, they hate re they hate the single entries. People like Dominic Nietzsche have been saying that, you know, Super High Rollerball is struggling because they don't allow re-entry. Uh, so what's your general take here? Um, I, I mean, I hate to be a fence sitter, but I'm really indifferent to this topic. I think there are pros and cons to both sides. Uh, I see the administrative side where big numbers draw crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, reentry really helps facilitate that. Players want to play in big prize pools, right? So um, I've always basically been of the. I, I've always been a huge advocate of allowing um, reentries at the extremes. So the super high rollers and the let's call them entry level tournaments so like 500s i would say like yeah 1k's and below basically um at the low point a a, a buy-in number where nobody's priced out and there's really no huge edge um well let me let me rephrase that because i don't believe there's any edge necessarily in being able to fire endless bullets mm-hmm. um you know you're hurting your your ultimate return uh, not on each individual bullet, but on that collective event. So it doesn't really behoove anybody to be in for multiple shells. But that said, it does harm the weaker players in the pool. Anytime a player with a higher ROI gets knocked out and then could just buy his way back in. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like if you let's say there's a 1K and Fader Holt is playing, 
he'll never be eliminated until re-entry is over. Sure, but that's kind of why I'm advocating uh, small buy-ins and, and extreme buy-ins, mm-hmm. right? Because like Fedor is just not going to play very many 1Ks. Right. We saw Ali uh, play the high roller at the, the Rio for the WSOP circuit and win it for like 70,000. And he was in for, I think, seven bullets at 3,200 a pop or something like that. So he, he, he got three X's buy-in. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't have to win. He's in a pretty negative situation there. Um, so, like, yeah, sure, he was difficult to eliminate because he got seven cracks at it. Who cares? The but person, that's the thing. People care. But they shouldn't. The person who got second place had significantly higher ROI than than Ali did on his collective buy-ins. That is the logical, uh, obviously, argument from an adult like yourself wearing that suit. Mm-hmm. But let's call them recreational VIPs. They don't think like that. They think that it's unfair. Like you just knocked out a player that you deem to be good, and now you're just here. Sometimes at the same table again. But that's just emotion, right? Like they still show up and play. But there's recreationals that don't show up and play because they think that. I don't think that's true. I think that that is where are they not, finding a 500 freeze out. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that you're not giving them a choice. That doesn't mean that they like it. But they keep coming. If they didn't like it that much, they would stop coming. They could play cash. They could play other. They, they could travel. I'm sure there's whatever. a section of people that don't like it enough that they just don't. Come. I said I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up. You know who's notorious for saying they're never going to play another reentry again and then shows up to every fucking one? Mm-hmm. Dan Shack. Yeah, he likes the game. He's a competitive guy. Right. So this is my point. Like People will complain until they're sore in the throat. But the fact of the matter is they still want what they want. And at the end of the day, playing in these events is a greater desire than trying to spin the tables in your favor. The problem, I think, is that everybody's arguing for a more level playing field in a game where there isn't a level playing field. Mm. Saying, like, I don't want Bonomo to have as big of an edge on me is a a worthless statement, right? It's like whether he gets to enter the tournament once or 10 times, he has a massive edge on the field. If I'm a player that I think can win, Mm-hmm. but might need some things to go in my favor, yeah. right? Tournament is where I play. I don't play cash games, right? Okay. Because cash games doesn't provide that for me, Agreed. right? Now I'm like, okay, I can win this tournament, you know? Then I get lucky on someone that I think is very good, mm-hmm. and I knock them out. That's I need that to happen to me for me to win, right? For sure. Now I'm like, I just text my friend, Bono, I just knocked out Bonimo, number one player in the world, whatever, right? Fuck his pink hair, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Then you're feeling yourself now. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like Bonomo just re-enters and he takes the seat that just you see him again, either on your same table, which happens sometimes, sure, or at the table next to you. And I think that leaves a sour taste in people's mouth because that's not the tournament experience. I get it. I understand. I think the the obvious compromise here is limited re-entry. Mm-hmm. I think doing um, a two. Maybe something like that. I, honestly, I think one is fine. Okay. I think it's. Oh, I meant reasonable. like two bullets, so two two max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where I have a problem is when events will run multiple flights and cap the number of bullets per day, but then effectively lift the cap in another scenario. So this happened at Aria in yeah. the uh, Party Poker 10K this summer. Yeah, they allowed you to. Uh, there were two flights, and you could play a maximum of four bullets two per flight, but you could also register day two if you didn't carry a stack over. 
So you can play a max of five bullets. However, if you just, uh, so say like, for instance, I skipped one A. So I only had one B available to me. Now my maximum is three bullets. That's fine. I chose to skip one A, no big deal, right? I busted twice and wanted to enter my third time as it was only level six mm -hmm. and we came back at level 10. Okay. The only way I could play the event again is if I sat out for these next four levels. And I think that that is just like a silly arbitrary right. thing. Yeah, that's kind of egregious. Um, and it's also like something where I think just in general, allowing day two entry is very problematic. Disincentivizing people for putting in an entire days of work, knowing that there's going to be a rush of players who have pretty high return now that a third of the field is eliminated to just enter with 20 big blinds. Um, outside of the main event, because I think like, you know. Yeah, it's different. It's different. You're so deep whenever you enter day two that it's kind of whatever. So you are you also then are not of the, you don't like these quantum events. I don't really know because they're paying a huge price to enter day two. So I, I think it's that's like 5X different. or something. I actually kind of dig the quantum in the way that it's structured because really what it is is day one's a satellite. Right. Day one's effectively a satellite to getting into a 5K, which yeah. I think is actually kind of cool. I think people should be more innovative along those lines. I like the idea of like opening up um, events or, or or creating one central event where there the money isn't really the barrier. So effectively, like if we imagine these are difficult to coordinate, but like if you imagine an event being a 10K buy-in main event, right? But, um, and that's that's gonna be like, let's, let's use Bellagio Five Diamond, for example, right? Now let's say three days prior to day one of the 10K is a $100 buy-in, where if you make day three, you just carry those chips forward. Oh, yeah, this is like party poker. They do this. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, do, yeah. they do this online. It's called, it's, yeah, except like they're in the money in that instance. No, no, no. It's a satellite. And then what? when if you reach a certain level, mm -hmm. those chips just go into the, the tournament, the next turn, like the tournament, sometimes a live tournament. Well, with the live realm, what they're doing is they'll run day one and day two live, and they'll also run day one and day two online, mm -hmm. and then the fields will converge. So um, that's that's basically you'll make the money in the environment that you choose to play in and then everybody will converge live. That's cool. Which I think is really cool. But yeah, like this idea of basically like if you want to pay one, uh, one one hundredth of the buy-in, then all you have to do is outlast or basically get down to 1% of the field. Um, and I even think that like, you know, if we put enough time and effort into it, we can figure out a way to co-mingle everybody. Where like everybody starts at the same time with the same chips. Some people pay $100. Some people pay $1,000. Some people pay $10,000. Um, and they're basically just vying for different prize pools. But the the interesting element of that is like you're going to have a $100, $100 player mixed in with 10K players. Like where is the gripe coming from? Because if the gripe's coming from the VIPs, the people that we need to play, I think that we need to do something. Yeah, if, but is it? I don't, I don't think high rollers are complaining. Right. Right. So who was complaining? Right. That's what I mean. I, I I think it has to be people that just feel like they have a bad taste in their mouth. Like I think mostly it's people who are on the margins. People who are winning small or losing small. Okay. Right? Like every when when you aren't crushing at poker, which let's be quite clear, very few are. Mm -hmm. Uh it's a volatile game that seems to have a much higher negative return than positive, even if that doesn't necessarily equate to uh 
monetary returns, right? Just emotionally speaking, it has a it has more negative than positive. Let's let's say that. Okay. Right? When you're in that realm and the only real things that you have to analyze because we don't have any ability to collect data live is just results, you're always going to look for things that you can pinpoint as to why you lost, mm. right? So it's like if you're on a 20 buy and downswing playing live MTTs and you happen to notice that most of them are re-entries, it's pretty easy to say like, oh, I'm getting fucked by these re-entries. Yeah, it's definitely fair. Definitely fair. Uh, all right, so you went to a place called Big Bear to that was amazing. do something. I don't know. What did you do? I, I mean, honestly, like for me, the whole trip was just a chance to get away, kind of like organize things. Yeah, yeah. Well, why are you in the lake at 6 a.m.? Same reason I get in the pool every morning at 6 a.m. This is part of the uh, the wake up routine, you know. You went in a lake at six a.m. Yeah, was it cold? Yeah, it was super cold. Why? So it was probably like fifty five degrees. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's like a, a test of discipline. Like, <laughs> wake up every day at this early time to go walk inside a lake. There's a thin line between discipline and just like unnecessary, like yeah, pain, but like when, pain to yourself. Sure, but when you lack discipline, you should lean into the pain. So and then, like, why do you still do? Uh, I mean, for me, it's just like, it's just routine at this point, but like for Chris, where, you know, I was kind of saying last week that I think he's a little bit on the soft side. It's, it's something that it's an anchor, mm. right? He can say, I did that. Yeah. And you should tie an anchor to his, to his leg and see if he makes it out of the lake. <laughs> like it was only like two feet deep. Uh-huh. He was fine. Yeah. I introduced him to the gym for the first time. That he's was, literally probably never been in a gym. I could tell he moves very poorly. What else did you feel like? Some enlightenment. You went with Nick, right? Yeah, we fought for four days straight. About what? Uh, we were just having like an argument as to whether or not data points from online uh, can be yeah. uh, can be utilized in an efficient way live. I think there's something to this live thing where I think everybody wants to know too much. What does that mean? So there was a little bit of a group text yesterday as it pertains to like standard deviations and if you're running bad or running good or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much to the. Are you stripping for me? What the hell's going on? I'm Batman. You're Batman. I'm Batman. Wow. All right. And you had all along. Yeah. So you're like the Bruce. You're Bruce Wayne Berkey. Yeah, man. You almost blew my cover. Can you catch the Bellagio Bandit? I did catch the Bellagio Bandit. Wow. He offered to sell me cranberries for twenty five percent the cost. I never told you that story. No, you told me. Oh, okay. I know all the stories. I didn't know about Batman. I knew about Batman, but <laughs> now, now everybody knows about Batman. Uh, I got way more done in seven days than I probably did in three months prior. And I didn't even get that much done, to be uh-huh. honest. It was just, uh, it was kind of nice to just like have a rigid schedule, know that I could just walk out of the house and take a hike anytime I wanted to, wake up every morning. I started thinking about hiking, you know? I think hiking's really dumb. It's so stupid. <laughs> so, so stupid. I enjoy being outdoors and I still think it's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, here's a hill. Go walk up it. Maybe you'll see something. Maybe you won't. Yeah. But if you do see something, it's going to be one of these three things. Trees, a lake, or a bunch of big rocks. Or an animal. No, animal. well, we saw a fox. That's why I didn't go. There was a fox in our backyard. I'm not about to saw a fox. <laughs> it was tiny. Chris tried chasing it. Last thing about that thing, though, as it pertains to like your argument with Nick. Um, mm. in this dimension yeah so live is so unique as it pertains to 
trying to understand like a standard deviation or like your win rate and things like that. I think it's important, but I think it should be taken with like a kind of a grain of salt. The reason is because I think that one actor in the game can change the game so much in a live environment that it changes your win rate. It changes everything. Like it changes so much. Like well, not- really what you're just saying is that sample size is too small. If one sample outlier event, small, yeah. yeah, if one outlier event can impact your, your standard deviation that much, it's generally because like your sample is just very small. And that's the truth. And yeah, but like what, what we really got into a a debate about is like what a reasonable standard deviation is in the live realm. Uh, What he was basically saying is that like a hundred big blind standard deviation is pretty aggressive for the online realm. Hmm. And we were trying to calculate like the probability of Chris's um, downswing playing two five. And he's like, I mean, even if I go really aggressive and like make it 200 BBs, it's virtually impossible. Chris's downswing is like, I think it is 2,000 big blinds. Probably, yeah, it's like 10K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's like 2,000 big blinds at mm-hmm. 25. And we're just like, okay, something's wrong in this formula because that happens literally all the time. For sure. I mean, like, if it didn't happen all the time, you would need such a small bankroll at these stakes mm-hmm. in order to be able to build. Mm-hmm. And, like, not only can people just not build, with a small bankroll at one, two, two, five, but they also can't move up with a small bankroll and would be scorned if they ever dared try to take shots at five ten with like 25 buy-ins. I think the problem is, and, and this is where I think the metric gets skewed, is that online games are hundred big blinds. Yes. And six max mostly. Correct. So like now you're in a nine max realm where like, for instance, the the win two five game is fifteen hundred cap. The average buy in is probably hundred and fifty big blinds. Mm, it might even be more. Not nah. average buy in? Yeah. The minimum buy in is hundred blinds. It yeah, can't the average, be less. The average buy in is gonna be like seven fifty. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I'm I'm just saying it can't be less than one fifty if the cap is three hundred blinds and the minimum is a hundred. Correct. Right? right. But in an online realm, it's forty to a hundred. Mm-hmm. This changes things drastically. Um, you know, there'll be a little bit more volatility, but so much, so many, so much fewer money is exchanging hands in those volatile spots where like, you know, Chris was kind of saying like, you know, you could just lose a three K flip. That's just never happening in an online, whatever the equivalent is two five, 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 right. Right. 300 or effectively a 600 big block. Right. Yeah. It's like, you'll just never see that. And when you do, there'll be such rare occurrences. And Nick was saying like, oh, well that's, that's accounted for in your significantly higher win rate because obviously live realms are super juicy and and the win rate is much higher. I agree with him there. But I don't think that's entirely true. I think it's only one part of the puzzle. Um, Your standard deviation can still be incredibly high while still allotting. Like basically, I think there's a positive correlation between the two. In order to have a really high win rate, I also think that there needs to be a high standard deviation. Otherwise... um, that that much money couldn't be accumulated unless you were a super user. But I thought that the high win rate kind of lowers your deviation. Well, that's the uh, that, that's the expectation of it. But what I'm saying is that the reason why, basically, I think over like period of time X, right, where we're quantifying it as a year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Honestly, it doesn't even really matter because the sample is still so small by comparison. Hmm. Um, you may maintain like 30 big blinds an hour at like two, five. I think that's like, you know, 
relatively uh, thirty big blinds an hour. Sorry, that's high. It's Ten yeah. big blinds an hour. Yeah. yeah. Um. Right. Yeah. Thirty I, big blinds, you'd be making one hundred fifty dollars an hour. Right. Right. But I think that like you could average somewhere between, uh, or you could range somewhere between like ten and twenty big blinds per hour as the best two five player in in your pool. Yes, I think that, especially in the deeper games, right? Yes. And what I'm trying to get at is if we saw those same win rates in an online realm at uh at, at comparable stakes, we'd think that they were super using. Correct. And the reason being is because they're playing such a, a mass volume of hands that you regress to the mean. But over a five-year sample size, if we plucked all that out and you played on average, say, 1,500 hours a year, that's still only going to be... 45,000 hands a year over okay. five years, you're looking at 225,000 hands. That's less than a month of online poker, mm. right? So there is no chance to regress to the mean, especially because like the way that the best player in the pool is going to cut their teeth is by staying up on whatever adjustments the pool as a whole is making. Right. So over that five-year stretch, day one uh, volume compared to day uh, you know, year five, 1800 yeah. Yeah. or year five, whatever uh, volume is going to look extremely different Correct. as far as the volatility of the pool, as far as like the pool's responses and all these other things. But in order to maintain that win rate, basically you just always need to be a step ahead strategically. So what I'm basically saying is that like, I don't think that over uh, millions of hands, it's sustainable to have that high of a win rate. So I think we're kind of like, getting lost in the the data in a sense where we know there's a positive correlation between higher win rate and and volatility because if we're playing a non-volatile game the win rates would be minuscule right okay does that make sense i understand sense? i understand yeah i understand and if the if the volatility is just through the roof like say it's it's uh say we're just playing like cold hands um then the win rate would also reduce to zero assuming that we played a game like cold hands where everybody had perfect strategy where are you getting volatility from because i feel as if if i'm playing you know sometimes i'll have like a client or whatever and we'll play like a one three game together and i'm just like i can never lose here because i just the money goes in when i say it goes in sure and things like that but like that my win rate is still massive in this game but the volatility is low how, how would you explain that well again i think it's just like quantitated through uh sample size over over a large enough sample size you could lose in that game you will lose in that game you'll get cooled off in that game you'll, for sure for sure you'll you'll run into enough of those spots mm. um and that will regress you to the mean the volatility is simply in that uh, you know whatever pool responses are occurring that either encourage money to go in or encourage more cards to be seen volatility is going to be fixed into those two arenas. Mm -hmm. So it's either in the investment or in the variance that comes through by more cards, more just cards coming seen. off. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, basically it's all, it's, it's, it's all an investment platform and, and trying to get to the root of it. But uh, this is where like kind of one of the cruxes of our arguments uh, kind of stem from is that I don't think it's a one-to-one -one correlation. Like I think, online environments probably are significantly less volatile because the strategies being employed are much more uniform across the board. And there's a lot of data to collect where it's reliable. Mm. But I think that like in the, or in the live realm, this just isn't true. So I think that most environments are going to be very non-uniform and there's going to be a great range. And the way that I tried to reverse engineer this was, uh, I said, if we took somebody who we deemed to be. Do you ever just like engineer from the, from the beginning? Because I feel like you use that word a lot. 
uh, yeah, all the time. But when you engineer things from the beginning, all you're really doing is starting it with a scientific, like starting at the scientific method. So you're just coming up with a hypothesis and then you're figuring out like proper questions to ask, testing it, re-examining it, et cetera. So at those I'll points, re 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 what'd you say? Reverse engineer. Reverse engineer Google. When you reverse, because <laughs> yeah. that would be nice. No, it's a know? good example. When you reverse engineer something, you, you're, you're examining how something that currently exists that we don't really understand came to be in existence. Yeah. When you're engineering something, you're just coming up with an idea. Yeah. So it's a new, it's a new territory. It's like, oh, I discovered something. All right. Maybe we should discover something. I don't know what, what we should do. We should do something. Well, there's a lot of money to be made <laughs> in both for sure. All right. Well, um, but anyway, ahead. the way I tried to reverse engineer this was basically saying like, if you took somebody that we agreed upon as being a live crusher, somebody who has a very high win rate. In the <laughs> yeah. You think there's like an actual like job called reverse engineering? No. <laughs> that would be, so you would be in there. Like, yeah. yeah what, what do you do? I'm a reverse engineer. <laughs> I mean, I think there are companies that like specialize in that for sure. All right, well, go ahead. Talk to me about your life. Uh, so, so like, if we agree that there's a live crusher that we all, that him and I both agree upon, is a winning player for sure and has a high win rate. Uh, I actually think you're a really good example of this. I, I think you'd be perfect for the experiment. If how much are you gonna pay me? Nothing. <laughs> uh, but like, if we agree upon that, and we then ask that person to go put in high volume online for some period of time. Let's mm -hmm. say we want him to play uh 300,000 hands online okay. right or 250,000 hands online something okay. to that effect would we see uh would that person be in line with his skill set of live right so you're a, a big live winner mm -hmm. would your data then demonstrate that you fit the the profile of somebody who's an online winner mm -hmm. and if the answer is yes then there's a greater chance that the data just correlates positively one to one if the answer is no, and what we see is that your data actually comes up comparable to um, like weaker regs or even fish stats, mm -hmm. then we recognize these environments are totally opposite, right? Well, we've seen this already. Yeah, but like... Timex tried it. I he know. failed. I, I Daniel understand. tried it. He failed. I get it. They were big winners. Trust me, I get it. But Nick's counter argument to that would just be that they're not big winners live. And it's That's, just not sample. That, Everything that wasn't is, true. I understand. But like... You have to understand how how difficult it is to have this argument whenever one person's dealing with numbers and the other person's dealing with hunches. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is we're both operating from a, a hypothesis standpoint. The only difference is his is testable in one specific way. Mine's not testable at all. So Nick would argue that Daniel Negreanu would, at the time that this happened, was not a big winner live. And like, theoretically, he just ran good. Um. Well, either that or like, you know, he, he didn't do, or he wasn't a proven winner at like the, the one-to-one -one correlation, right? Like Daniel's mostly been a mixed game player in a, a an MTT or the majority of his life. Yes. When he moved over to 2550 poker stars, no limit. Uh, we expected there to be some sort of decline. Okay. I think the whole <clears throat> crux of the argument for me was that not all data points are alike. Um, you well, know, I think people would say he can't, he wouldn't be two five zoom today. Right. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, we can't compare two five zoom to two five, no limit. Uh, live. Of course not. They're just have, not even remotely. You have comparable. Goose playing two five zoom. You don't have Goose playing two five at the win, right? You know, um, that's. Like, it, I feel whatever happened to the argument of like, you're effectively, and this was kind of a weak argument, but like you're playing one stake above when you're playing live. So if you're playing, you mean sorry, online. uh, online, online right. yeah. So like if you're playing one two live, if you're playing one two live. Uh, sorry, if you're playing one two online, it's effectively as if you're playing like two five live. Right. 
I think that might even be like now moved up one where like one two on stars would be equivalent to like a five ten game line or something Probably. like that. Uh, I just I, I I don't even like to parallel them because I just think they're so utterly different, and I think the strategies that win in each realm are are vastly different. I think that you have to be much more mechanically sound live or or sorry online than you do live um, because you're much more punished by it. Uh, if for no other reason, then stack depth doesn't really allow you to correct. I think there's also things that happen live that would never happen online. Where it's... So that was the other thing we got to was that number one, live is a multiplayer yeah. game, generally speaking. Correct. But number two, there's a certain clairvoyance that takes place whenever you are able to actually sit down and know to the fullest who you're up against. So you're able to scrape that. That was my argument is basically the data that the live player is able to attain isn't the same data that the online player is. And there, there isn't much overlap, right? I'm actually able to sit down and observe in a way where I can kind of like scrape data based upon things that people say, things that people identify with, um, the type of person or personality type that I think we're dealing with. And then also just patterns and trends that we're able to recognize. And I think human beings are relatively good at that. I think what we're very bad at is processing said data um, and being able to uh, make grandiose sweeping statements off of very minute uh, data points. So like, we're not very good at, um, we're not very good at getting into the minutia, right? We're not very accurate, but we are able to be pretty good at um, understanding, I guess, uh, more simple or binary types of of uh, data collection, right? It's what allowed us to get this far. Mm. We can recognize if something is dangerous or not. We can recognize if... Um, no, you're reverse engineering the human race. Nope, nope, not doing that at all. Go ahead, what were you saying? Uh, not doing that in any, any way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, online, the data is, is uh, very vast. And now it becomes reliant upon the types of filters that you lay over it. So you can get mass quantitative databases, but it's also really critical to uh, take scrutiny to the type of data that you've scraped and not just lump in, um, you know, high stakes with micro stakes and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, from what I understand, that's exactly what Nick does do. I trust his data for the online realm unequivocally. Um, I just don't necessarily know that it correlates over. And basically what I was trying to say was similar to your argument of like, when you're playing online, you're playing bigger. Uh, I was basically trying to say that the spectrum of players are different in such a way where um, if you took a uh, a winning player from live, I would wager that they would fall closer to the break-even slight loser in the online realm. Okay. And the same deterioration process happens to other profiles. So when you look at an online fish, I think if you, if you took the online fish pool and you move them into the live pool of the same stake, I think they're break-even slight winners. That could happen. Right. So the whole point is, if that's true, then what ends up happening is, well, where's all the money being derived at live? And it's this whole other subsection of people that just will never play online or massively negative EV in poker, period. Yeah. Which I just don't think really exists online because Correct. they'll just get scalped alive over the amount of hand samples that they can put in. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that there are things that happen live that simply could never happen online as it pertains to even just hands playing out. Okay, yeah, yeah. So... There are certain situations where like people play a hand because they think that it's probably okay and it's a marginal hand. 
they end up with like a seven high flush and this you're 300 400 big blinds deep and now you're playing a massive pot with like a seven high flush in a situation where like that would never happen live but the fact that or sorry online and that's a huge pot for the winner in like an 800 big blind pot or something crazy or like that just doesn't ever exist in another round and these are like big pots that happen in uncapped games where win rates are just like massive now because like those situations happen and if you're on the other end of like not playing these these hands because you deem them to not be profitable at this depth etc or you're able to like clairvoyantly get away as if you're saying that's a big pot big portion of the win rate yeah effectively like what i was trying to say and i think that this is the the real sticking point that makes the most sense is that in both realms the vast majority of ev is derived from losing players right now the difference is the turnover rate of losing players online just has to be relatively great by comparison or they need to be losing far less right so it stands to reason that either you have a lot of people to facilitate the loser's role or you have a lot of people in the fluctuation where they're like uh losing a couple big blinds of ev over any given hand sample right i think that happens a lot yeah agreed uh in live it's not measured in hands it's measured in time and so effectively the big difference is that the fish are much more sustainable in a live realm so they can play for a year's time and right. lose the same amount of money that they would lose over a 10-day period of time playing online that makes a lot of sense and because of that it also gives them the short-term variance of sometimes being able to recoup a lot of that that short-term variance is now what presents itself in volatility to the winner Right, because if a losing player is on the positive side of short-term variance, even over a small sample of like five thousand hands, ten thousand hands, that can equate to a couple months in live play. And what that's doing is subtracting from the top end of the pool, which you'll just never see that happen online. Right? They're just gonna, they're basically just gonna uh, frenzy over these people who are losing X amount of dollars per big per per hundred big blinds. And that money is just going to get sucked right up until they're broke or don't want to play online anymore, whatever the case may be. Would you take a bet that, uh, for, for what it's worth, I think your your conversation with Nick was enlightening and amazing. He wants, he wants to debate it at some point. Ah, uh, man, listen, man. I, the hard part I have is that like he could just always kind of just be like, well, I have a database that says otherwise, and you have nothing to demonstrate to me that your side is correct. And he's right. And... With that said, why would I like? How could we ever engage in a good faith argument? That seems that seems like a, a conversation. I was glad I wasn't around because I would have just been like, "Listen, you guys just want to play like right now and see like, who <laughs> whose standard deviation is better." That was the hard <laughs> part. Was that like Chris and I just kept saying like, "Just go play live for a hundred hours and tell us that we're we're crazy, right?" Like, just tell us that we don't know what we're talking about after just a hundred hours of play. It's like you're just gonna show up and you're gonna be like, "Okay, I get it." Like. There are six people at this table that can't win, and I know precisely the ways in which they're not winning. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, it's definitely the online versus live argument has been going on for a little bit too long, and I've been on the side of I think that live is just a different animal. That Once you are in integrated fully, you begin to understand how you could just like make infinite in this kind of environment because you're just like clairvoyant versus eight strategies you know, mm -hmm. consistently. I also think as I was breaking things down, I was having a conversation with like one of the guys that we're uh, 
buying pieces of and stuff like you know brian we he came to the academy and i was like listen like i just have two strategies that i can that i employ like all the time like i have a strategy against weaker players and i have a strategy against good players and i just like employ i i understand when one is going to be integrated and one is going to be yeah i mean that's effectively what i'm i'm demonstrating in the exploitative matrix course that i'm building for the site it's here's your core strategy Mm -hmm. and then here are the places where you abandon it because you're incentivized to do so based upon your opponent type yeah yeah i think there's like a little bit in today's climate i think playing against weaker players has been kind of lost like good players don't really understand how to play against weaker players at least not to the that was how the whole argument really began because like i i know you remember we basically started this argument over the summer during the world series yeah yeah it was a it was a a very famous hand now at this point during our group. Yo, he was just kind of saying that my, my strategy is like non-quantifiable. And it's almost like uh, the only thing that I can point to in cement or in stone is that it for sure wins against bad players. But all constructive strategies should do that. Mm-hmm. And I immediately countered and I was like, actually, I, I think that that's kind of wrong. Like, I think some of the biggest struggle um, for people transitioning that are like, you know, strong mechanical players from online to live is getting accustomed to the environment at depth. Mm. And you'll just see a lot of hundred and hundred and hundred big blind mistakes according to what the environment's providing. Like where seven other people at the table who are accustomed to the game and accustomed to the environment are saying like, oh no, not against Teddy. You never get that in there against Teddy. Not against Uncle Drew. Right? And it's like, and and they're just they're just empty. It's mm. like, oh, well, I had my best bluffing candidate. What was I supposed to do? Right, right. I have to shell off 400 big blinds there. It's like, well, no, that's not true. When Teddy calls flop and turn, like, you got to shut it down because everybody knows that in this game. <laughs> you know, Teddy's a crazy name to be using right now. <laughs> you know, Teddy, when Teddy calls, is crazy. I'm just thinking Iceman, man. Freeze you. Yeah, when the Iceman froze you. I got to tell you, since uh, Spotify and streaming services have become popular, which, by the way, I'm super thankful for. Yeah. Uh, and Google's Google Play. Okay. Google, Google, whatever Google's coming out with, I'm with, I'm with that. Okay. Sure. Uh, they have this thing called the Daily Drive, which it's, it's remarkable. They take like four of your favorite music genres as well as like four of your favorite podcast genres. And it goes news. So like daily news, which you can just skip, obviously. And then like some collection of songs, maybe like five to 10 songs of a specific genre. Then one of the podcasts that you would like. And then a new collection of music from from your favorite genres. And it just keeps that pace with like interstitial uh, news clips going on of like the daily current events or whatever. It's like, this is great. This, this, is, is, this is the happiest I've ever seen you. This is like radio only without the annoying DJs or commercials. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You flying out here to Vegas uh, a couple of days ago from Jersey. Mm-hmm. You were steamed. Yes. Right? Because you specifically booked a flight that had charging ports. Yes. And your port didn't work. Not only my port, but go ahead. Uh, right. Many ports didn't work. Right? Substandard service for sure. Yes. By the end of the flight though, you were never going to fly them again. If they didn't acknowledge that they provided a substandard service and right. charged more for it. Right, right. I get it. And maybe this isn't the best example because that is just speaking with your wallet. 
and that is just a form of protest against mm. uh, somebody who quote unquote wronged you. But my point that I'm trying to make is how small of a detail that is. It, it depends on, you know, it could be a great, it could be a great thing. What if I had a very important conversation that needed to be tended to that had a big deal on the other end the and order, now my phone just died? In the order of events of right. what an airline is responsible for. You're responsible for whatever your service says you can do for you. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. But of all those events, in order, their charging port is absolutely unequivocally dead last. That's your opinion. It could be it's, it could be higher to me. It can't be. It can't be. It's much more important to have flotation device, to have a working engine, to have a, a sober pilot, I'm gonna tell you to the have truth. a bathroom that works. I'm going to tell you the truth. You think the charger port is more important or the little air thing that comes out? Definitely the air. Okay, that air thing only works for 10 minutes. After that, it's done. That's not true. It's facts. No. It's facts. I've frozen on a plane before because there's air coming out. I'm not talking about the air. The, I'm talking about the air thing that keeps you oh, breathing. Oh, oxygen. Yeah. Okay, 10 minutes of extra oxygen is a long fucking time. You're going to die anyway, man. Get out of here, <laughs> man. You're going to die anyway. You know what I need? I need the charger port to work so I can say my goodbyes to my family <laughs> if I'm going to die. I don't need that extra 10 minutes of oxygen that's about to just keep me alive for 10 minutes and then the oxygen's over. Yo, 10 minutes is a long time. Yes, but I need to say goodbye. <laughs> like, this is important stuff I don't understand. Oh, man. What happened was they said there's only, so whatever. On this airline, I won't I won't put you down because you, you squared up with me. We're good. But effectively, not all their air, airplanes have the charging port. So you need to book very specific flights with the charging port. So then I booked that one. By the way, those charge a little bit more. Now, all of a sudden, I'm there and I'm like, all right, my phone's about to die. Whatever. You know, I'm chilling. I'm, I pull up my thing. It doesn't work. And I'm like, all right, well, this one doesn't work. I'm like, all right, well, maybe my neighbors works. I'm like, hey, you know. Nice young lady on my on my right. I mean, I even got lucky. There was a spare seat there. No one even had it. I was like, hey, can you plug this in? Hers doesn't work. And I'm like, all right. Bleep, bleep. Whatever. They come in. I'm like, yo, can you uh, check these ports? They're like, oh, okay. That one didn't work. They sent me to another seat all the way in the back. Right? That one didn't work either. Nice lady uh, on, my, on my right. She's like, none of the ports in this section work. That's when I lost it. Hmm. Because, you know. I just don't deal with that shit, man. You know, so they, they, they made it right. So it's all good. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this and they made me, you know what? Fuck this shit. Good night. I'm out of here. <laughs>